Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 52, Continuously Improving Leadership with Dr. William Attaway. One of the things I love to do at the edges of lean is find people who are practicing lean and lean thinking and lean leadership who actually don't know anything about lean at all. William Attaway is a leadership coach, a pastor, an author, and a speaker. He's coached executives in business from small business all the way to the C-suite in a multitude of different venues from government, education, military, and the church, as well as nonprofit. And along the way, he has come to understand many of the factors that lead to lean leadership. I invited William to have a conversation with me about what it means to continually improve your leadership. William Attaway, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Bella, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you. Can you introduce yourself to us and tell us how you got into working on leadership development? Absolutely. Uh, I am a pastor. I'm a leadership coach. Uh, But before any of that, I'm a husband. I've been married to my wife, Charlotte, for 24 years. I'm a father to two teenage girls, one of whom is about to graduate high school and one of whom just finished in her freshman year of high school. Uh, I've been working with leaders uh, for over two decades now, pouring into training and developing them, helping them to get better uh, through coaching. I've done that in the business environment. I've done that in the nonprofit church environment. I've helped leaders in the education space, the government space, the government contracting space, just about any space you can imagine. And what I found is that there are principles that are transferable no matter where you lead. So that's very interesting, you know, because in our lean continuous improvement world, we focus a lot on leadership. You can't do continuous improvement in an organization if leadership is A, not on board, and B, not continuously improving themselves and their own leadership. So can you start off by telling us what you view leadership as being and um, what are some of the principles that you work with people to develop? You know, John Maxwell has said that leadership is simply influence, nothing more, nothing less. And I like that. I think that has so much truth to it. I believe the role of a leader is to be a servant leader, to pour into and invest in the people that they lead, to serve them, to help them lift up and achieve the goals and dreams that they have that will ultimately help the organization that you're a part of. When you invest in people, when you understand that leadership is about people more than tasks, what you find is that those people that you're pouring into and investing in are so much more productive because they realize that you value them as an individual, not just as a cog in the machine that you're trying to get the most out of. And what what led you to your realization that 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 works? Experience. <laughs> I've been a, I've been a student of leadership 
for 30 plus years now. I attended my first leadership conference when I was 15 years old. And, oh my and goodness. Then, I have I've read as much as I could about as many leaders as I could. I've met with as many leaders as I could in person or learn from them from afar. So as a student of leadership, that's one element, but being a practitioner for decades now and experiencing what it's like to lead people in teams and organizations, to pour into and invest in them, what I've discovered is that that is the secret sauce of leadership. It's understanding that the people that you lead are actually people, not just elements of an organization that are one dimensional. They actually have hopes and dreams. They have families. They have lives beyond what you see during a work day. And when you recognize that and when you begin to invest in them and pour into them and treat them as individuals, as people, and that makes all the difference in the world. Can you, uh, can you tell us, uh, give us an example of, of how you've seen that change an organization? Without, sure. You don't have to name the organization, but. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. So I'm thinking about a client that I've, that I've coached, right? And he's a founder, uh, started his company and had a, a team of people, a dozen, 15 or so that, that he was responsible for leading, right? And, and he built this from nothing. Over time, had built that size of an organization that he was leading. And for the, at the beginning, he was, he was really just seeing them as the, the doers of tasks, right? He would have something that he wanted to hand off. He'd hire somebody to do that thing. They become the person who does that thing instead of a person who is three-dimensional, who has hopes and dreams of their own. And over time, he began to feel like there's, there's a lack of morale. There's a lack of, of, of synergy and alignment organizationally because he was seeing people as the tasks they did not as people who were doing those tasks. And so over time, as I was working with him, what I found is that, that as he began to treat them as individuals, get to know them beyond just what they did, wow, that, that began to create a dynamic among the team that allowed for more robust conversations around what they did. There were new ideas being generated and shared, right, that came not just from him, but from the team because they began to care more about what they were doing and the team they were a part of and the mission they were trying to accomplish because they felt valued as an individual. So over time, the, the, the organization, the team, the business began to see exponential growth because the ideas weren't coming from one person. He was no longer the lid on the leadership of that organization. Everybody had an investment. Everybody wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. I think that's a human trait that's inside every one of us. But unlocking it, well, that involves treating people as what they are, which is humans, <laughs> individuals, yeah. people that who are, are beyond who, just what they do. Right, who are, who are really incredible and incredibly made. Yes. So, so one of the things, and, and I've talk to a lot of people about this. One of the things that I think is really challenging in this type of work is when you're working in an, when you are the leader in an organization, are you working with a leader in an organization that has had um, a very sort of strict hierarchical approach where it's, you know, I hear the tasks, I'll tell you what to do, you do them and, you know, do them on time, better yet, do them early. Um, and, my door is, you know, my door is open, but it's not really open. It's, you know, it's really closed. You've got to make an appointment to talk to me, so on and so forth. It's, it's leaders, I think, struggle internally with that first step outside their door, right? 
to go and 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 see the people what do you say to leaders who are you know at that point where they're just about to step outside the door but are going to have to give up some image of themselves in order to do that I think the first thing I would say is that the image that you think other people have of you is not true. <laughs> I think the, the idea of the leader who sits in their office, fires off missives, and everybody, you know, scrapes and bows and does what they're told, exactly as they're told early, uh, and they can just sit in their office and, and kind of conduct all that like the conductor mm -hmm. of an orchestra. That's a myth. That's a myth. I've never seen that actually work effectively. You have to get involved. You have to walk around. I mean, people have talked about this for years, right? Managing by walking around, right? This idea of going around and getting to know people, engaging with people where they are, asking questions. Too many leaders think that their job is simply to give answers, is simply to direct, to, to, to be the fount of knowledge. You will get so much farther by asking questions. Every week, the team that I lead, we have an evaluation exercise, right? And this is an evaluation of what we do weekly. And we ask three questions. And my team could say these three questions in their sleep because they hear them every single week. Yeah. What went right? And we evaluate the wins. And we celebrate those wins because that's so often the step that is skipped. What went right? Then we talk about what went wrong. What, what didn't happen like we expected? What, what do we need to do different next time? Third question, how do we make it better? People think that experience is what makes you better. Experience does not make you better. Evaluated experience is what makes you better. And that's why evaluation is a critical part of what we do as leaders. But the only way you're going to get honest evaluation is to ask questions. And you have to ask the right questions. And you have to build an environment where people are going to be honest. The first 90% of honesty is really easy to give for most people because that's not the hard part. It's the last 10%, right? That's the part that we hold back. That's the part that we're afraid we're gonna hurt somebody's feelings or we're gonna step on somebody's toes. So we hold back that last 10%. But what I've discovered is that last 10% is where the magic is. That's where the transforma transformation is that can make the difference for your team. So you're talking about the, so the last 10% of honesty on the leader's side, right? I imagine that's true All the way for around. everybody, right? All so you're, you're having that evaluation. You talk about what went right, what went wrong. And maybe, you know, in the back of your mind, there was some, you know, something that was wrong that, you know, that contributed to something that could have been better. Yes. And you hold that back because you're afraid, right? You're afraid Absolutely. of what people's reactions going to be or you're going to look you're going to look bad and i think that so i think that we're um i think we're kind of you know i we're kind of used to that idea that you know we're not going to share everything you know so there are some things that we're, we're, we're going to hold back um i think everybody um i would imagine everybody i think everybody does that right everybody i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you and it's not because i'm hiding it i'm just because i'm i'm afraid of what's going to happen but then what you're saying is on the other side right that that's the leader too the leader has to have that level of honesty right and that that might be hey saying you know what you know what i actually didn't set this up right for you that's it right the leader sets the tone we set the environment we decide whether it will be a safe environment for people to give their last 10 percent if they don't feel safe doing it, it's because we haven't created the environment for them to. So you talked about coaching leaders. Mm -hmm. so, so the work that you do is not about just telling leaders, hey, here's what you should do, but about coaching. What's your coaching approach like? It's a lot of questions. 
I think that they're asking the right questions will help people understand the right answers. So often the leaders that I coach, the executives that I coach, they know the right answers. They know the next step. They have inside of them what they need to do next. Nobody's asked them the right question to pull it out. It's really difficult to see the whole picture when you're in the frame. In fact, it's almost impossible. That's where you need somebody from the outside, somebody who's going to give you a perspective that is outside of your own experience. You're in the weeds. It's hard for you to see what you can't see. I've had a leadership coach for years who helps me to see what I can't see because I'm in the weeds in my own environment. I think right. this is a non-negotiable for every leader. I think you need a coach, somebody who's going to help you in that way and ask you questions that maybe nobody else is willing to ask you. And I would suggest also that that is not something that has to, has to wait or even should wait until you are the leader, right? Because people are Absolutely. in different levels of leadership in different organizations. And having a coach, someone to ask you those questions, to spend time with you, to help you do that personal reflection that you might not take otherwise is incredibly valuable at every step in, in your career or your, or your your journey as a volunteer, you know, whatever it is. But it's, it's very rare to see coaching happening until either somebody is in trouble yeah. or, you know, has stepped into a role that is obviously so big that, you know, it looks like they're going to need some help. Um, and so I was wondering, as, you are, as you're coaching, are you seeing organizations start to see the value of that and to bring more coaching to employees? For sure. I think for a long time, coaching was seen as a remedial step, almost a punishment. You know, hey, you screwed up, so we're hiring a coach for you to help you, you know, get back to a decent level here. Uh -huh. um, that's no longer the case. Uh, hiring a coach for somebody is an investment. If you're, if you're choosing to do that, to make that type of an investment, what you're saying is, I value you and I see more potential in you. And I want to help you hit that potential. So we're going to have somebody who's going to come alongside you and help you to intentionally grow and thrive as a leader in our organization, but in your own right as well, because we want to make that investment in you as a person. And that is a great investment to make in any, anybody in an organization. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you can be proactive and say, I want to grow as a leader beyond where I am today. I have my sights set on this. Well, I'm not there yet. Do I wait until I get there? No, you start now. If you wait until the opportunity arrives, it's too late to prepare. Start now. Start today to prepare for who you want to be, for where you want to go. That's great advice. And I think that's something that that it would be, you know, really nice to see that happening in all kinds of organizations. Um, and, you know, obviously you work with businesses, but also in, in the nonprofit world. Can we talk a little bit about working with volunteers? I, I know a, a number of my listeners um, are in nonprofit organizations or consult with nonprofit organizations. And I think there's always this sense, well, there's there's sort of a limit to what you can do with someone who is a volunteer in, in that type of an organization. So what have you found about um, leadership development, uh, leadership coaching and volunteers? I think there is a, a bit of an artificial distinction here. And, and uh -huh. I, wanna, I wanna caution leaders with this. Oftentimes we say people's no for them. And, and we will use language that I think is inappropriate for a leader to use. Something like, 
well, you know, I need this done, but you know, they're, they're just a volunteer. Wow. Okay. I think that ought to be stricken from the vocabulary of every leader. I don't care what you lead. Nobody is just a anything. Okay. We need to look at people and see the potential in them. We need to look at them and see how they are gifted, how they are wired. We need to discover their wiring and help to lift them, to empower them and to equip them to be all that they are designed to be. They are created on purpose for a purpose. And our job as a leader is to help pull that out, to lift them up so that they can achieve that. So how does that affect what we do with volunteers? Well, it informs the entire process. We look at somebody and, and whether they're a paid staff member or whether they're a volunteer, my goal is to see them achieve all that they are designed to do, all that they're wired to do. And if they've got the time and the energy and they feel like they're being poured into, the sky's the limit. I've seen volunteers who will put 20 or 30 hours a week into an unpaid role because they feel like they're making a difference and somebody is investing in them, sees enough value in them to invest in them. So don't ever, ever as a leader say, they're just a volunteer. Uh, they're, they're, I'm not, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there with just a volunteer. Don't ever say that. You never know. You never know what somebody has inside of them until you begin to get to know them. Yeah, that's that's so interesting to me because I have been in situations with, with people who are leading nonprofit organizations talking about their struggles with how much work there is to be done. And then also talking about the, the sense that their volunteers are not engaged. And I, I think what you said was, was really, really an important point was don't say somebody's no for them. You know, that is uh, because I've heard that. I've heard that, well, they won't do that. They're, they're just volunteers. Or we can't ask that. They're just volunteers. Mm. But what you're saying is that if somebody feels that they've been asked to do something and then they're invested in developing that if that's the right thing for them yes they will they'll pour a lot back into it um which might help with that problem right of, absolutely of uh, there's too much to do and uh, not enough people to do it yeah yeah so when you have in 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 your in your church um where you when you have these um, these evaluation meetings, is it staff or staff and volunteers? Yes, it's both. It's both. It's both. Absolutely, because I don't think good ideas only come from people who get a paycheck. <laughs> I don't uh -huh. think the best improvement ideas only come from people who, who who are on staff. I want multiple people giving us ideas. So, for instance, with with our church, when it comes to our service evaluation. We have volunteer teams who run our production team, right? The, the cameras, the sound, the mm -hmm. screens, or the whole bit, right? I want to know their feedback on how things went. I want to know how they think we can make it better. What went right? What went wrong? How do we make it better? I want them to answer those questions because they're often going to come up with things that I didn't see, that I didn't hear, but they know how to make it better. If this is true in any organization, ask the people on the front lines, right? Ask the people right. who are engaging with the customers because you might find, and I think you will find, they have ideas that you are never going to see sitting in the back office. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly true. The people who are right there doing it, they're going to see things. And, and your role in the service is not about paying any attention to that, right? So that's exactly it. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna miss a lot, and it's, and uh, yeah, and it's not and so valuing their input is is incredibly important. Yeah. And think about how they feel when their input is valued. 
and when it's implemented, right? They feel, oh, wow, I made a difference. They cared mm-hmm. what I think. So what's mm-hmm. going to happen the next time somebody asks for their opinion, the next time they're asked those questions? Well, they're going to be a whole lot more willing to give more. They're going to be moving closer and closer to giving that last 10% that they might have been holding back on. Yeah, yeah. When uh, I just shared a little personal story, when the pandemic happened in my in my own uh, faith community, we went from being 100% in person to being 100% online. And I actually introduced exactly these meetings that you're talking about, that uh, except the same three questions, what went right, what went wrong, and how do we make it better? What are your ideas for making it better? The funny thing that happened was the first couple of times we did this, what everybody wanted to do was jump to what went wrong immediately. Right. And, and I, I was, it was just immediately we want to talk about what, what, what went wrong. Well, what went right, you know, because right. those are the things that we can really learn from. Because if something went right, let's figure out why it went right and make sure we do that thing again until it fails. If it fails, then we, you know, under some different circumstances, we'll have to fix it. But getting people just to flip their mental switch to we're not just here to talk about what went wrong, but we really are here to talk about the whole thing was, it was really interesting to see how they do. It took a few weeks for that, for that to happen. And yeah. yeah I, th- I think human, was... nature, human nature is to default toward what went wrong, right? That, that's most people. But what's rewarded is what's repeated. And what do I want to reward? what went right exactly <laughs> to see that i want them to celebrate the wins together because when we do that we begin to form in our minds an understanding that these are the things that are most important these are the things we want to see happen again and again and again right right and then you can from a lean perspective then you can make that into your standards into your standard work you can't you know you can't really have a good standard until you've You've run whatever it is, you know, several times and, and see what, what really, really works. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What's a, what's another thing that you think people misunderstand about leadership and particularly about this idea of continuously improving leadership? One thing that is often misunderstood, and one thing I see often in leaders is the longer that you lead, the closer you get to a point of, of just settling for what I just call a drift into mediocrity. You think, hey, you know what? I kind of know how to do this now. It's not all new to me anymore. I've Mm -hmm. been doing this a little while. And so you just kind of settle in to a rut, right? And that rut is mental. That rut is mental because we stop learning. We we stop having to learn as quickly or as much. And we think, "I've, I've got this, I've got this. I think one of the principles that I teach for catalytic leadership is that you have as the leader, it is a non-negotiable for you to have and cultivate a teachable spirit. That is an intentional choice that you make every single day. I believe you can learn from anybody. Sometimes you learn what not to do, but that can be incredibly (laughs) valuable, right? If you walk into every circumstance, every situation, believing I can learn in this situation, I'm going to learn in this situation. If you walk into it with that teachable posture, then I think you have the first step 
towards seeing a catalytic leadership model play out in your own leadership and in your organization. Too often, I see leaders who are not doing that. They're drifting, right? They're drifting toward mediocrity because they feel like they've got enough, they've done enough, and, and they're so busy, and I'm not going to make the time to, to think through and reflect on what I'm learning. If you don't reflect on it, it's not going to drive it deep enough to stick, and you're going to find yourself finding the same ditches over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the culture drives us away from reflection, right? Yes. So, um, you know, we the expectation that you are booked on your calendar, you know, the entire day, and um, for someone who's in the line of work you're in, it's probably evenings too, and evening meetings as well, right? So, so you're working, 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 um, and not not having that time for reflection, and, and for, I think for many people, not having a method or approach for reflection, right? Because if you don't have a, a standard way of starting how you're going to reflect, then that time will also become something, something that you drift through if you do it at all. What do you teach people about how to, about how to reflect? You know, for me, this is something that I started doing about, gosh, it's been almost 20 years ago when I first read a book by David Allen called Getting Things Done. And uh -huh. in his book, there is his idea of a weekly review. And that became such a habit, such a part of my life. This is something I share with clients all the time. A weekly review is an opportunity to look back and to reflect on the previous week and say, okay, what, what went right? What went wrong? What would <laughs> yeah. I do differently next time? Right. And you think through that, but you begin to process what you've learned, right? Good, bad, and indifferent during the last week. Then you begin to look forward. And you begin to look at all the things you have to do this week and you think forward and you think, what am I going to need to do those things? This reflection is reflecting backwards and it's reflecting forward. This happens for me every single week and it is a non-negotiable part of my week. There is no week I'm going to skip this because it's too valuable. That's how I drive deep the learnings. And this is what I coach clients to do, that you need to have an intentional time that you're going to do this. I think weekly is the right rhythm. I think once a week, you're going to carve out time. For some people, it's 30, 45 minutes. For some people, it's two hours. There's no specified prescribed time for this. It's what fits what you're doing. At the beginning, it may take you longer because you're not in the habit of doing it. But by developing a rhythm where you're going to do that evaluation, you're going to do that review and reflection time backwards and forwards, that's going to help you in so many ways as you move into the next chapters, the next opportunities, when you move into your next environment, you find, hey, you know what? This is like something that happened a month ago. And I learned this. And it's just, it's going to become a part of who you are. And it's going to flow out of you into the present because you've reflected on and learned from, evaluated the past. So, so you're saying, first of all, make it regular. Don't, yes. don't make it, don't do it, you know, randomly, but, but have yeah. a regular rhythm for that. And then again, know what questions you're going to be asking yourself yes um, and then do you personally um do you do you take notes do you journal do, uh, do. all of that yeah you do yeah I do. I do because i find that that neurologically there's something about actually writing something down uh, i use a keyboard all the time right and, and like most of us right and i'm, I'm typing yeah. i'm emailing i'm doing you know thumbing whatever it is but there's something about writing things down. And so I've actually got a paper journal that I use here. And this is where I record things that I want to drive deeper, things I'm learning. These are the things I'm reflecting on that, are, that I want to reflect on in my next weekly review. 
These are notes from a conversation that I've had, notes from a book I'm reading or an article that I perused. All of these things are things I want to make sure I'm going to review and reflect. That's where that goes. I'm actually going to write it down because neurologically yeah. that's going to stick better than if I type it. Yeah, and, the, and for the, if people who are curious about that, there have been actually scientific studies that yeah. show that for all of us that are, you know, typing on keyboards all the time, that that goes in and out of your brain. But it's it's the physical act of writing does help to fix memory yes. in your brain, which is um, which is great to know. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, you may have, uh, as I do, I have a notebook everywhere now. <laughs> absolutely just 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 in case that 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 thought strikes you absolutely yeah why do you think as people are coming into leadership they haven't learned these things already what's missing hmm. that's a great question I I think yeah and I just want to interject, you had shared with me previously that uh, you and your wife are homeschooling your children. Mm -hmm. Is that right? right? That's right. So are you building this into their education? Yes, absolutely. They, they, they have commonplace books that they will capture things that they read, that, they, that stick out to them, that they want to reflect on, that they're learning. This is a habit we're trying to build into them. This is something that I think often we, we, we model, we, we capture and, and repeat what is modeled for us. And mm -hmm. so if we have a leader who is investing or mentoring us and they don't teach us these things, they don't do these things, where would we learn it from, right? And again, the, some of these are things I've learned from my leadership coaches over the years, people who have mentored and invested in me. I think every one of us stands on the shoulders of the people who've gone before us. Everything I know, I have learned. I wasn't born knowing anything. Right. I didn't know how to lead when I was born, right? All this has been invested in me. And we have, we have a choice right? As individual people, we have a choice. We can either be a reservoir and hold to ourselves everything that is poured into and invested in us, everything that we read and learn and listen to. We can hold it all in for us, or instead of a reservoir, we can be a conduit and we can begin to share what we have been invested, what's been invested in us. We can begin to share that with those around us for their benefit. What I have discovered, what the leaders that I coach have discovered is that when you share it, it actually drives it deeper in you. Not only does it benefit those around you, but it actually benefits you as well. Right. And I think there's something else that happens too. Not only do you, do you get that benefit of when you share something, when you teach something, you learn it, you learn it better. But also when you hear it reflected back from somebody, they may offer another insight that even enhances it for you. So there's that amazing thing that happens when two or three people are actually, you know, sharing the same idea and building it up together and that never happens if you don't share right nope. that's that yeah. will never happen if you don't share we yeah. are created to live in community right we benefit from one another and when we share and others share with us we all benefit from that it's when we hold back and we try to isolate ourselves and we try to be like the lone ranger <laughs> that's when we yeah that's when we lose that we forget that even the lone ranger had tonto you know yeah, yeah, and and I think the other you know the other thing is that I've certainly learned in, in my life is that and I well, I love what you said about experience right that that experience can really be a trap because you can rely on that experience and not be aware that circumstances have changed and so this is one of the things that's very important 
you know, I think if you want to think of, of thinking of the world as a scientist, as an anthropologist, you have to understand that part of science is knowing when the conditions have changed. So the thing you knew before may not be as true as it was before, right? But but when you're only relying on experience, no one's going to tell you, hey, things have changed, right? It's when you're together with other people that you could start to get that very important insight. And hasn't this most recent season of the pandemic taught us to hold things a little more loosely, to hold things mm -hmm. a little more open-handed? Because things are different on this side of the pandemic than they were previously. And if all we're doing is trying to go back and call the same place as we were calling two or three years ago, what we're going to find is um, those don't work anymore. Many of those, many of those are no longer effective because things have changed. People have changed. If we're just relying on our experience from the last 20 years and say, we're just going to keep doing the same thing again and again, I think what we're finding, what I'm finding for certain and what my clients are finding is that on this side of the pandemic, that's not working like it did. That's, that's such an interesting insight because right now I'm hearing a lot of people saying, I can't wait to go back to the way it used to be. Yeah. But we've all been through the pandemic. We've all been through that isolation. We've all learned to communicate in different ways. We've, you know, we have all learned the value of not necessarily getting out and driving, you know, two, three hours a day. We've learned so much yeah. from this awful thing that's happened. We've learned about grief. We've learned about, about caring for others. Hopefully we've learned about caring for others, right? All of that stuff. Um, and if we would just say, well, it's all done. Um, unfortunately, it's not done yet, but it's, it's all done. And we're going to just go back to the way it was. You're so right. We're not going to go back to the way it was. We, we can't. We, we're different now. Right. One of, you know, I, about two years ago, I saw a quote that hit me so hard that I printed it out and taped it to my computer monitor here in my office. It's by Amy Edmondson, who's a professor of management and leadership at Harvard Business School. And the quote is one that I read all the time and I've shared with more people than I could possibly remember over these last couple of years. She said, too many are asking whether we will go back to normal. To me, the problematic word is back. There is mm. no going back to pre-COVID times, she said. There is only forward to a new and uncertain future that is currently presenting us with an opportunity for thoughtful design. That is our job as leaders. We lead into this new season of an opportunity for thoughtful design. Are we going to be thoughtful about it? Or are we just going to pull out the playbook from before and try to pretend like it's what it was three years ago? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm challenging leaders in my own organization. I'm challenging the leaders that I coach. We have an opportunity here to thoughtfully design what's next, but we have to avail ourselves of it and not just go back to the habit of what was. That world no longer exists. And frankly, I, I have to say from my perspective, the normal that we had before wasn't as good as us with our rose-colored spectacles looking at it it wasn't that it wasn't all that good all the time anyway right so true so, so true right. so often we look at the past and we idealize the past and we think it was all that 
<laughs> Guess yeah. what? You didn't think that then. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But but Amy Amundsen is all right. We can only go forward. We we don't have any other direction to go. Again, that's the way that that we're designed to experience time. So we so we that's the way that we do. Yeah, yeah. What what do you see um, as a big as the big challenge right now with the I wouldn't say the great resignation because I think that there's also a great deal of hiring right now. There's a lot of the great resignation is coupled with a lot of hiring, a lot of, a lot of people bringing new people into the organization. When a leader is bringing new people into their organization in this challenging time where we have this opportunity to thoughtfully design what happens next, what would be your advice for a leader facing that amount of, of, really new personnel in their in their organization two things are important one is is over communicate uh, uh-huh. I, I don't think it's possible to communicate enough with somebody who's coming into an organization they're bringing in everything that they've ever experienced into an organization that has experienced a whole bunch of other things right and so the dna changes with every new hire but an organization has dna and they have to understand that. So to over-communicate is to tell the stories, to share as much as you can about as much as you can when somebody's coming in. I think that's important. Uh, second is clarity. I think it's really important to be clear about expectations. This is true in any relationship, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in your neighborhood, whatever it is, often the problems that we experience are because of missed expectations. Well, I thought they were going to, I thought they understood, I thought they knew to, those are just missed expectations. So clarity will help to avoid missed expectations. If you are clear from both directions, and that involves asking questions and listening, which I think is one of the most undervalued skills that every leader has to possess, you have to be able to listen. When you ask the right questions and when you listen, you can help to avoid the ditch of those missed expectations. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And what if they're the new leader? They just got hired into this new organization. Obviously, they got to ask questions and listen, right? What else? That's right. You better be you better be asking two or three times as many questions as any statement you're making. Right. You better be listening in every environment that you're in, not just to the words that are said, but to the words that are underneath what is said. This is something I counsel with new leaders. When you're coming into an organization and and you've been brought in, right, the worst thing you can do is come in like a bull in a china shop and just start breaking things, right? That's not what they need, and that's not what they want. What they need and what they want most is somebody who's going to come in and listen before they do anything, who's going to listen before they try to speak into a situation that there is no way you could possibly understand yet. Right. Right. To listen first, you have to ask questions. Then and only then have you earned the right to begin to speak into it, which is the job of a leader. Great advice. William Attaway, tell us about your book. So earlier this year, I published a book called Catalytic Leadership. Uh, And what this book is, is a compilation of 12 principles that come from a couple of decades of coaching leaders in the business space and government space, nonprofit space. 
in, in so many different environments, I've discovered as I've coached these leaders that there are principles that apply no matter your context, whether you're a, a teacher or, or whether you're a high-powered C-suite executive, right? The same principles apply. And so what I've tried to do in this book is capture those principles that I coach leaders on, and there's 12 of them. So that's what this book is. It, it's an attempt to capture those to help as many leaders as I possibly can, those that I'll interact with on one-on-one -on -one coaching and those that I may never meet face-to-face. And, and how can people get your book? Well, I would love, Bella, for your listeners to, to get a free copy of the book. This is something that I'm offering to podcast listeners. If you go to catalyticleadershipbook.com, uh, we will make sure you get a free copy of this. I'd ask that you pay the shipping costs so I can get that book to you. But when you do that, we will make sure you get a paper copy of the book if you're in the continental U.S. If you're outside the U.S., then we will make sure you get a digital copy of the book but I'd love to put this in as many hands as I can because I want to help leaders get better. I've heard it said so often and I believe it to the very core of my being. When a leader gets better, everybody benefits from that. Everybody they lead, everybody their team leads and everybody their organization serves. So the website is catalyticleadershipbook.com and we'll put that in the show notes so people can find it. Great. Right. Right. And your, and your website is? Uh, my website is catalyticleadership.net. And that's where you can find out net. more about me and about the coaching that I provide. Uh, my goal is to help leaders. And so what I do is I come alongside them and help them to decide what it is that they want to work on, what it is that's holding them back from what they know is possible, and then ask them questions and help them get there over time. Terrific. Thank you. So William Attaway, tell me after the, all of this experience, what's the, your piece of advice for a young person studying out? Mm, I think my piece of advice would be to maintain and cultivate that teachable spirit, to learn as much as you can from as many people as you can, as often as you can. There is no excuse for not learning every day. We are surrounded by so many opportunities to learn, whether it's books, whether it's people that we can talk to and ask questions of, whether it's podcasts like this one that we can listen to and learn from. There are opportunities to learn all around us. Will we take advantage of those? Will we come with a teachable spirit? Will we reflect on what we're learning so that we can begin to develop and apply it in our context today and in the days to come? Thank you. That is really, really good advice. So maintain a teachable spirit. Yes. We never know it all. Never. And the minute you think you do, you're done. You're done. <laughs> all right, thanks. William Adaway, thank you so much for joining me at the Edges of Lean. Bella, thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy to be on your show today. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank William Attaway for being my guest at the Edges of Lean. What have you learned about lean leadership outside of lean training. We'd love to hear from you. Find William at catalyticleadershipbook.com and don't forget to request your free copy of his book. Or you can find him on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com. And tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. 
The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.